The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. And to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are mourning. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Does that really sound to you like people who are blessed? Hungry, thirsty, mourning, meek, poor. No. It doesn't sound like it. Yet these are the ones that Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to. The reason why it repulses you to think of being poor, meek, hungry, thirsty, mourning is because you, I, we have all become captive to what the Apostle Paul calls the wisdom of the world. And the wisdom of the world is killing us. 
What do you think of your doctor? Is your diet working for you? Have you tried this self-help book? Have you listened to this podcast? Do you watch those videos of that guy that goes to Costco and he tells you all the things you need to get that are best for you, that'll make your numbers go lower? These are all examples of the pursuit of the wisdom of this world. And the wisdom of this world can get you a long ways. And pursuing the wisdom of this world makes us all feel like we're in control of our fates. But Paul asks us, he asks you, where is the one who is wise? Where is the debater of this age? Simply put, is anyone out there today alive worth listening to? The city of Corinth, which our epistle was written to, Paul actually wrote three epistles or letters to the church at Corinth. The first one that they got, they didn't like what he had to say, so they threw it away. And we still don't have it to this day. The second one is this one, 1 Corinthians, what we call 1 Corinthians. And the city of Corinth was a really nice, big metropolitan city. It was in Greece. And because it was a nice, big metropolitan city, there was a nice mix of all sorts of people, different trades, different ideas floating around, different philosophies. And all that variety led to a variety of crazy problems. As often happen in cities that are big and lots of people come through and live in. Even the church at Corinth, which is called like all Christians to live in the world, but not of the world, to not be friends with the world, but to live there. Even the church at Corinth, which, by the way, was about the size of 60 people worshiping on a Sunday morning. Even they fell prey to endless division and the cattiness of a wealthy metropolitan city. They had succumbed to the wisdom of this world. Though they were blessed to have a variety of different evangelists and pastors visit and serve their congregation for many months and sometimes years at a time, uh, by preaching, baptizing, teaching, consecrating the supper, all of those things. But each time they got a new one, another faction, another division would form around the people who liked the way that the last guy preached, teached, taught, the way he led service, all of those things. And the frequency of these changes led to a variety and laxity in how they worshipped. We learn just from the first Corinthians letter that there was over 10 different things that they were doing in worship that were not in a line with Christ's teaching. 
Just as an example, sometimes they'd speak in tongues, which was very popular back then. But unlike other churches, there was no one there to tell everybody what in the world they were talking about. They also struggled with the practice of communion. They, had, they were not uh, consecrating the Lord's Supper with the words that all the other Christian churches were consecrating with. They were not examining and absolving people who came forward to take communion. In fact, people from town would waltz in and go, huh, what's going on in here? This seems cooler than worshiping Diana. And they would receive communion too, not even knowing who Jesus Christ was. There was Team Peter, who favored keeping Christianity as Jewish as possible. Team Apollos, the young, attractive, eloquent preacher. Team Paul, they were convicted by his difficult yet edifying words. And of course, Team Christ, the people who thought they were above it all. And each one of these groups, these divisions of people in the Corinthian church, constructed a Christianity and a Jesus Christ in their own personal image. In other words, they had created a false god according to their own liking, according to what they want to hear, according to what they wanted to say and do in the world, and according to what they would like Jesus to be and to do. Which leads me to an excellent Martin Luther quote that I found in a sermon that he gave on 1 Corinthians. He said, What links all those who divide the church together is none other than they craft a God in their own image. The church at Corinth was attempting to create unity by splitting into groups. And yes, they had unity, but only with the other people in their groups. Yet they all worshipped the same Jesus Christ, or claimed to, gathered on the same Sunday morning in the same room. Imagine before we had church buildings, gathering in some person, some wealthy person in Corinth's house in one room and remaining split up in different groups. They were all chasing after the mirage of what they had thought a pastor might have said in his tenure or were, had dreamed up Jesus to mean or what they had heard their non-Christian friends are doing in their worship of Diana or Zeus or Jupiter and thought was cool or popular. And they used all of these ideas and philosophies to fight, to fight one another. The wisdom of this world made them feel like they were in control of their fates and of their church, and of their God. It helped them to pretend like they were in unity. And so thanks be to God that Paul drops this bomb on us 
which is, has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? He has destroyed the wisdom of the wise, he quotes from Isaiah. And what is his proof that God has destroyed the wisdom of the wise? None other that in God's infinite wisdom, because the world could never find the real God by their trends, their philosophical and their historical quests, their endless searching, nor through crafty and eloquent men, we learn that it pleased God to communicate his infinite wisdom, his ancient wisdom, through the foolish preaching of men. And it pleases God. It makes God rejoice. It makes him happy. It's a sweet and satisfying fragrance to God to save those who believe the foolish words of preaching of simple men. Why? I can't begin to tell you why. No one knows why. But God loves to choose the lowly. He loves to choose the insignificant, the mourning, the grieving, the meek, the poor in spirit, those who hang in faith by a thread, those whose daughters have died too soon, those who love their children, but their children have gone astray, those bearing the burden of caring for an aging parent and wanting and wishing to just love them as they go, but struggling with anger and stubbornness that is due to a decaying body. Through all of this, Jesus says to these people who have faith in me, yet endure such suffering, to them belong the kingdom of God. And to advance his kingdom by sharing this simple, foolish word of the gospel, that's their task. Paul says, Jews seek signs. They seek demonstrations of mighty power. Gentiles seek wisdom or some new cool idea that's novel from a highly educated elite like a philosopher. But Paul says, we don't do either of that. We preach Christ crucified. Christ on the cross. That over there. We preach Jesus Christ dead or dying on a cross. Not an empty one, but with the body of Jesus Christ. The body of our God and creator of all things who chose to, out of joy, become man and to suffer and to die for your sake. God asserts this crushing reality a truth, the truth, and he demands a reaction to it. Sure, one can dismiss Jesus Christ crucified as too dark, 
or to say, when I look at him, it makes me feel bad. Sure, you can stop looking at him, you can reject him, you can walk away, but be careful. Paul warns us that those who reject Christ crucified are being destroyed. Jesus says they already stand condemned. But here's what's lovely. To all who look on him and believe the almighty God, who out of joy chose to go to the cross for you, all who look on him and believe Christ crucified, he has made himself your wisdom, your power, your sanctification, or doing better by the Holy Spirit's power. He has made yourself or himself your redemption. He has saved you. He saves you from death by your faith in him. He makes you alive by his blood that you drink and are washed in, you are cleansed in. He makes you wise because you look at him and realize you are not in control. He's got the whole world in his hands. He makes you strong because he picks you up and he carries you. And your cross, your suffering, your pain, as well as his own, for our sakes. I often hear, and don't worry, this is, this is nice. I often hear people say, Pastor, I try my best to pay attention during service, but sometimes I drift off. Don't worry. I do it too. (laughs) And I'm so happy that you're being vulnerable with me and you're telling me this. Don't worry. I hear the same thing from my mom, my wife. I think of my own self doing the same thing. And so don't think that I think you're, um, you know, whatever you might think. When you tell me that, I'm thinking of my mom, my wife, my own self. And I just want you to know, don't worry, because you're in a good place. You're surrounded by beauty in a world that's difficult. In a gift from God called the liturgy or the divine service, called the divine service because God is divinely serving you. He's asking nothing from you. He just wants to give you gifts. He wants to surround you by Christ's holiness, by Christ's love and his joy. He asks us to just fix our eyes on Jesus this little green man on this cross. And so you can fix your eyes on Jesus as you drift off, as you are confronted with your thoughts and all of the things and processing your weak, processing your pain. But I ask that you fix your eyes on Jesus as you do that.
because he'll bless you through it. This is the most beautiful thing in the world. This is what time was created for. And as Christ crucified becomes the center of your worship, he will become the center of your life. He will unite your family. He will focus your thoughts. He will focus your love on other people and not yourself. Because this is how he chose to love us. This incredible sacrifice. Not for any sort of guilt, but to make sure that you know every time you look at him that this is how he wanted to love you. This is the image God chose to take. None of the ones that the Corinthians made up, none of the ones that you or I could make up of Jesus, no. Jesus, God, crucified alongside robbers, thieves, slaves, and rapists. This is the image that he, that God chose to dwell in. And this image alone can and does bring unity to his body, the church. This image alone is what we gather around each Sunday morning, whether it be Christ crucified on that cross, Christ crucified on the altar as the lamb who was slain but lives, or Christ crucified in the foolish word of preaching, or Christ crucified in his scriptures read from this altar. The foolishness of God, the weakness of God, Christ, the power of God, Christ, the wisdom of God. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.